This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Proverbs 18, 15. Guys, this is going to be a long one today. Well, maybe not that long, but there's a lot that we're going to be getting into today. But wanted to remind you, if you're not already signed up for our newsletter, just go to our website, www.undaunted.life, and it'll prompt you to become a part of that newsletter because we want to make sure we keep you updated on everything that we've got coming down the pike because we got some really, really cool stuff coming. But guys, there's been a lot of very important newsworthy stories that have been buried over the last month. Because I kind of keep track of things that are going on around the world and in every manner that you can possibly imagine. And I kind of take notes and I was like, okay, is this enough to talk about for an entire podcast or something like that? But especially in this last month, these really, really important news stories are getting buried because of the overwhelming amount, and rightfully so, of attention given to the colossal failures coming out of the Biden administration, right? So I guess we can say it started with botching Afghanistan, right? It did a, a whole series on that. Then you've got the COVID vaccine mandates on private businesses. That was last week's episode. Now we have all these images from the southern border, which we know the southern border has basically been wide open for months now. But now there's a horrific humanitarian and and sovereignty crisis going on down at the southern border. And it's just, what's it going to be next week? What is the major crisis going to be next week? Because each one of these stories is like a black hole. You know, it sucks up everyone's attention. And if you're not into that, you know, you're you're absorbed with something else, you know, because you maybe have been paying attention to the Gabby Patino disappearance and subsequent, uh, subsequently they found her and it's likely a murder and they can't find the fiance. There's so much to focus in on, right? But there are some insanely important news stories that you've likely missed out on and they directly affect you, mind you, right? And so that's what we're going to do today. And the thing is, is I can't go into crazy detail into all these stories because I think I'm going to tell you about nine or 10 different news stories that you've likely missed here in the last few weeks. Because if if I go into all of them into crazy detail, it's going to be four hours long. And maybe in the future, I can dive deeper into some of these individual ones. Maybe the ones that are maybe a little bit, I don't know, more interesting to you. But each one of these could be their own episode. But I mean, what can you do? I will link in the show notes, I promise, to the news story that I think does a pretty good job of explaining or covering the story, right? So, and I try to get a plethora of different news sources, not just coming from a right-wing view or a left-wing view or a centrist view or something like that. I feel like I did a pretty good job of getting all those. So I would leave, I'm leaving a little bit on the bone here today, a little bit of meat on the bone so that you can go out there and read it for yourself and kind of get caught up on all these things. I'm basically going to be giving you a summary highlight of the story and then tell you why I think it's so important. Okay, so here we go. First one. And this is from Government Executive. And here's the headline. Horrible mistake. Pentagon admits drone strike killed children, not terrorists. So the summary on this one is on August the 29th of 2021, just a few weeks ago, the United States fired a Hellfire missile at a group of people that they believe to be members of ISIS-K. So that's kind of the offshoot of ISIS. And the intelligence reported that ISIS-K members in that area would be driving around in a white Toyota Corolla, which was the target of the strike. The strike ended up killing 10 people. Unfortunately, none of the people that were killed by the Hellfire missile, by the drone, were ISIS-K, nor were they affiliated with any terrorist group, okay? It was 10 civilians in and around this white Toyota Corolla. One of the victims' names was Zamari Ahmadi, and he is an aid worker, and some people said, and I haven't been able to really corroborate this, said that he actually worked with the Americans as well. And so it was him that was killed, along with nine of his family members, including seven children. I'm pretty positive these were all his nieces and nephews, so it was like his brother's children or something like that. So basically wiped out an entire family, all right? So why it's so important is the first thing is we've already forgotten about Afghanistan. That's partially why I'm leading the show off with this today and partially why I share a lot of Holly McKay stuff basically every time I see it on Instagram is because we've already forgotten. And this is what the Biden administration is depending on. They need the United States public to not focus on the biggest botching of of anything so far in the Biden administration, which is only 10 minutes old. But this is the biggest, worst thing for him so far. They need you to focus on that, right? Because they they need you to, to, I guess, focus on other things, I should say. 
right? So let's focus on this little controversy and let's talk about equity over here and let's call people racist over there and let's, you know, demand these things of people in terms of COVID over there. We can't have you focusing on Afghanistan. But the fact that the majority of you didn't even know that we've admitted that we killed civilians instead of ISIS-K is because we've already forgotten about it. It's not leading the news anymore. So whether you're an ABC news person or a Tucker Carlson person or a CNN person or whatever the thing is, that's not the lead story anymore. It's moved on, right? Because COVID, because the Southern border, because some girl that, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but a single person lost their life. And that has been an all consuming force for people all of a sudden, right? We've already forgotten about Afghanistan. And another reason why it's important is because this over the horizon plan we've been hearing about that the Biden administration, we don't need boots on the ground in Afghanistan. We can conduct this war from our near, nearest air base, which is in Qatar, right? The over the horizon plan is already a failure, which Anybody, you don't have to be, you know, clairvoyant to understand and to realize that this was going to be a failure to begin with because we have nothing enforceable from the ground. And a good example is this story because the family members of the, this man and these other nine people that were killed on this day, they want, re- you know, they want money for this. They want to be paid for this. They want to be compensated for this, right? They want things to be made right. But we have nobody on the ground in Afghanistan, even if we wanted to just hand them a bucket full of cash to deliver it. If we were going to provide this to this family, we'd have to give it to the Taliban because we don't have an American military force in Afghanistan anymore, right? So this over the horizon thing, and again, I think you have to be fair because there's collateral damage no matter who's in the White House, right? But a lot of times the the collateral damage isn't directly caused by the people running the show being absolute abject morons. Okay. So that's the first story. So just kind of give you guys an idea. That's what it's going to be like for the rest of these. I'm just going to go really, really quick and give you time to read the rest of it on your on your own. So the next one here, this is from NBC news. Pfizer says it's COVID vaccine is safe and effective for children ages five to 11. So this is just one that's broken in the last few days, but here's a summary. Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech said that they would submit their data to the FDA for emergency use authorization. Another thing under emergency use authorization. And then the trial was done on a little over 2000 children. And these children were given two smaller doses of the vaccine as compared to what the teenagers and adults are getting across the world. Okay. So here's why this story is important. And it goes directly back to what I said in last week's episode, fear porn and vaccine mandates. Vaccine mandates, mandates for your children are coming. And they will likely be enforced through the public school system. Book it, book it right now. I said this last week, and then just a few days later, it's like, oh, this this magical thing. Isn't it interesting that ages 5 through 11 can now, as soon as it gets the approval, will be able to get this vaccine? That is so interesting because it now covers all school-age children. Why didn't they test this on children that were younger than 5? Is is there something fundamentally different from a development standpoint from a a 4.5-year-old to a 5-year-old? I know, I know you got to draw a line somewhere with these things, but it's so interesting that now it's going to cover all school-age children, okay? But when you're talking about this, and I talked about this last week, that all of you that have been saying the flu is more deadly and more harmful to kids than COVID is, that that's going to be thrown back in your face, we do need to talk about COVID deaths for children in America ages 5 through 11, okay? So I looked at the data just this morning. So this is the data from January 2020, right? until September the 11th of 2021. So that's essentially the entire pandemic, okay? And just so you know, this data is coming from the CDC website, okay? It's coming directly from the CDC website. Now, shout out to Phil Kirpin on Twitter. So this is a guy, he's a syndicated columnist, but he's at K-E-R-P-E-N on Twitter. He's staying right on top of all of these numbers, okay? And he's constantly putting out there on his feed, so you should definitely follow him. Because here's the thing about the CDC website. It's not that easy, to, to go to the CDC website and get the information that you want, right? So everyone just assumes like if, you know, someone on the right wing talks about these statistics that they're putting it through some sort of a filter. The thing is, is if you were to go to the CDC website and you don't have a statistical modeling background, it's going to be hard for you to get the data that you want. But Phil Kirpin, he is getting the data and it's making it easy for people like us to read through it and go through it. So let's just go through the data here. The deaths for American children ages five through 11 during that time period, the entire pandemic, is 79. 79 out of a cohort that numbers 28,446,096. 79. That's an average deaths per 100,000 in that age group is 0.28, which basically means that a child in America, okay, between the ages of five and 11, 
has a 0.00002 chance of dying from COVID. 0.00002 chance of dying from COVID. Okay? Now, saying that does not minimize how tragic it is for the families that lost one of those 79 families that lost a child. But my understanding is that the overwhelming majority, if not every single one of those children in that 79 group had a serious comorbidity, a serious pre-existing illness. And then COVID unfortunately was, was the straw that broke the camel's back to use a really, really bad, you know, comparison. Okay. And I think it's important to make this point as well that I think I actually just said it just then. These aren't necessarily children that died from COVID. The actual language that's used on this, this information from the CDC is that these kids died with COVID. So it's, it's almost impossible to get to, to the real ground level as to kind of what's happening with these children. But a child could have died from cancer or from pneumonia or something like that, but then tested positive for COVID. Again, these kids didn't necessarily die from COVID. They died with COVID. That's an important distinction. So again, we're going to be told that this is for the good of the children, that this is going to be a mandate. Yes, it's a mandate, but this isn't about your freedom. This isn't about your liberty. This is about your children, you see, because we, the government, we, the school board, we, the local populace, we care more about your child than you do, obviously, because you're sitting here questioning the, the vaccine. Are you an anti-vaxxer? Are you anti-science? Guys, it's coming. It's coming before the end of the year, okay? Because by October or November, there's going to be full FDA authorization for this, and immediately the school boards are going to hop on board and say, the kids have to have it. I promise you it's coming. All right, guys, next story here. This is from KXAN out of South Texas. This is the Austin area. Two men arrested in connection to disrupted Round Rock ISD board, uh, board meeting. So that's the independent school district. So shout out to my cousin who actually lives in Round Rock. She, she made me aware of this because this story, like I hadn't seen it until she shared it with me. So I appreciate that. There was a board meeting uh, that was scheduled and it was to discuss a school board meeting, meeting to discuss an extension to the mask mandates that were going on in their schools. Okay. So they're debating whether to defy the mandate passed down by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, basically saying, and this is the right way to categorize it, that you can't have a mask mandate across the board and require that every student do it. You can just say masks are optional, right? So they're, they're trying to figure out if they're going to defy that. So only a few people were allowed into the room because of, you know, bullcrap social distancing standards, which we found out this week, the six foot standard essentially came out of thin air. Nobody even knows where it came from. But the board said in previous meetings that there weren't enough chairs to accommodate the community members that wanted to be in the room. So these community members brought their own chairs, right? And, and guess what? The, the school board just didn't really like that. So the school board set up an overflow room. Isn't that so nice of them to do? But basically, the overflow room was essentially a way to have more people in attendance, quote unquote, without them actually having the ability to participate in the meetings, in the proceedings of what was going on. OK, so the video that I saw is that police were actively blocking the door that would have allowed community members access into the room. Now, the police were just doing what they were told at that point. You know, I, I don't really want to put too much onus on them, but the school board basically told them you have to keep these people out. And the community, uh, the community members said that this violated uh, a statute in Texas called the Open Meetings Act, which basically makes sure that you can't do a whole bunch of thing behind behind closed doors and everything like that. A couple of the dads went in there and, you know, they were they were disrupting the meeting and they were taken out and arrested for disturbing the peace, so on and so forth. Here's why this story is so important is because this story is not terribly unique, right? So it, it didn't actually shock me when I saw the video because I feel like we've seen this over and over. But this is what happens when you give government bureaucrats power. They just want more. And they can't have you, you lowly peasant, they can't have you getting in the way of them getting their power. They can't have that, okay? And just like I talked about with, with uh, all the COVID statistics just a second ago, they are using the health of your child, right, as a club by which to beat you into submission. They want to beat you into submission. That's what they want. And they're going to use whatever they can to get it because here's the thing. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, and I'm, I may regret this later, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's on top of my mind. A lot of these people that end up on the school boards or end up, you know, in these uh, bureaucratic positions of power, these were people that didn't have power growing up. 
So maybe they weren't a very popular kid or very well liked. Maybe they, they weren't really involved. Maybe they didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, maybe they didn't perform well. Maybe they're just a really good student, but no one really respected them or liked them, you know, something like that. And then one day they get a job that was for a lot of them, you know, decently hard to get and a little bit of a sacrifice because a lot of them don't get paid very, very well. And then all of a sudden this pandemic shows up and they've got power now, power that they've never had before, influence that they never experienced before. And now that they see that the, the pandemic is legitimately on the wane and that if you're an adult, you can get the vaccine and move on with your life and not care about whether someone else got jabbed or not, right? But now they're seeing their potential for more power fading away. And they can't have that. So they're going to push up against, you know, Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis and all these other governors, Governor Stitt here in my state that are pushing against this nonsense saying, hey, let's get back to business. Let's get back to work. But they don't want that. So guys, there's going to be more of this coming. Don't be surprised. All right, next story here. Fox 32 out of Chicago. Cook County judge strips mother of parental rights because she is not vaccinated. Did you hear about that? I mean, I couldn't believe this. This was one of those stories where I read the headline and I was like, surely not. Surely not. It's going to, they buried the lead somewhere in the article. It's got to be different. But here's the summary. So Cook County, that's Chicago, there was a judge named James Shapiro. He stripped Rebecca Furlitz custody rights of her 11-year-old son because she refused to get the COVID vaccination. Stripped her of her parental custody rights. Okay, so this came up at a child support hearing involving Furlitt and her ex-husband. They had been divorced for seven years, but had joint custody of the child. During the hearing, the judge, supposed Shapiro, he asked Furlitt if she was vaccinated which should not have even been a question in terms of what they were trying to figure out at this particular hearing. So she answered honestly and said no, because she has had adverse side effects from previous vaccinations before. So the, the new COVID vaccination was scary to her, right? So Shapiro, the judge, then ordered that Furlitt's rights be stripped of all, of all parenting time for her son until she got vaccinated. She could not see her son until she got vaccinated said the judge, the representative of the court. So this is actually from the article here. The attorney representing the father, Jeffrey Leving, says that they were surprised by the judge's decision, but they support the ruling saying that given the pandemic, the child should be protected from an unvaccinated mother. Remember the stats we just talked about a second ago? Here's a quote from the lawyer. These are, there are children who have died because of COVID. I think every child should be safe. And I agree that the mother should be vaccinated. So uh, this judgment, the, you know, the update to this story is that, thank God, has been reversed. There was another judge that came in and, and was like, hey, I'm the adult in the room. This is absurd. Like, she can obviously see her kid. We, we can't demand that she get vaccinated or else she can't see her kid. But this is why this is so important. This is why the story is important. Is because a lot of you are talking about this story or thinking about this story, and you're thinking it's about judicial overreach. Okay? But judicial overreach is actually the least of our co- uh, concerns with the story, and it should be the least of our concerns. We should be terrified that a judge in America was actually able to get away with this in the first place. That that's the real story. Because for several weeks, this woman could not see her son because a judge said, well, I think you should be vaccinated so you can't see your kid. And what if the appellate judge or whoever saw it next that overturned this, what if they agreed? What if these two dorks were on the same wavelength? This woman would not have rights to her child because she's making a personal health decision about her body, literally her body, only her body, right? It's not like my body, my choice with abortion, which is a different body, her body, her bodily health autonomy was in question, okay? Because you're saying like that lawyer saying that, you know, uh, I agree that the mother should be vaccinated. Great. I'm glad you have that opinion. That doesn't apply here, sir. Your opinion as to what she should do or not does not directly affect whether or not she will or should do that thing. It's just your opinion. And this should have just been the, the judge's opinion. He could have said, ma'am, I just got to be honest with you. Uh, you know, COVID's for real and COVID is dangerous and there are children that have died from it, even though, as I, I showed you earlier, very, very small. And even if you take ages zero to ages 18, we have just over 400 kids in the United States of a cohort of 75 million-ish kids that have died from COVID. But the judge could have said, look, it's not a zero risk. It's essentially zero, but it's not a zero risk. I think it would be a really good idea if you were to get the vaccine. And I wanted that to be on the record. And then you move on with your life because it's not your freaking kid. And she's not putting this kid in undue danger. This isn't like, you know, a mom that gets drunk and puts her kid in the back of the station wagon without a seatbelt on and goes for a joyride. This isn't the same thing. But very, very important story because this 
this happened in Cook County, right? Incredibly, incredibly left-leaning blue district, right? Is it that far away or that far-fetched to believe that it's going to happen in your backyard next? I don't think so. So let's move on to the next story. And I just got to be honest. Of all the stories I'm going to share today, some of these get me pretty fired up. This one got me more angry than some of the other stories and maybe several of the other stories combined. So I'm going to, you know, attach a different news story, but I just want to read this tweet because this is how I originally found it. It was a tweet from ESPN MMA, right? So that's kind of the, the home of MMA because that's where the UFC is right now. So here's the tweet. Elena McLaughlin, the first openly transgender athlete to compete in mixed martial arts in the United States since 2014, won her MMA debut Friday night, beating Celine Provost via submission on the Combate Global prelims in Miami. Okay, so the tweet basically tells you the story, but here's some more info that you maybe didn't know. After beating up this woman, McLaughlin, a dude, right? After beating up this woman, wore a shirt that said end trans genocide. I have no idea what that means. I guess I was not aware that we were rounding up trans people throwing them in buses, taking them to concentration camps, and summarily executing them. Didn't realize that was happening. If you have any more information on that, I would love to see it. But first, this is the first dude to be allowed by a state-sanctioning body since Fallon Fox in 2014 to fight a woman. Okay, so that was the same year that Fallon Fox, who, who again made all kinds of headlines and Joe Rogan was talking about him and all those different things. This, a guy, again, Fallon Fox, a dude, beat up Tamika Brintz so bad that not only did he give her a concussion, he broke her orbital bone. Because, and, and people break their orbital bones in fights, but it's especially bad when a man gets in there and does that to a woman. And Fallon Fox was considered to be a hero to people, right? But apparently McLaughlin, again, a dude, had a hard time finding a female opponent to fight him. You know, he actually called it a nightmare. A nightmare. I had such a nightmare trying to find a chick that's willing to fight me. A guy... That's been a guy for almost four decades, okay? So here's actually an underreported thing. So McLaughlin, again, a dude, was 38 years old at the time of the fight, but he used to be a member of the U.S. Army Special Forces. And if you look at pictures of him when he still identified as a dude, he was jacked. This dude was enormous. Natty, maybe not, but enormous, okay? But let's talk about why this story is important, okay? There's several things here. The first thing is that we thought the gender revolution would stop at sports. We, we thought, surely, this is going to stop with sports. But the revolution has to roll on, even, it's to, even if it's to the physical detriment of women. Because again, we're told that this is a progressive good that this happened, that more transgender people are competing in sports, and that's a good thing. But isn't it interesting that we have not seen a single example yet of a female to male transgender that has wanted to fight, otherwise known as a woman that's desiring to fight a man in the same weight class. That's so interesting. We're currently only seeing men that want to quote unquote become women and go fight one. That's interesting. And another reason why this is so important is where are the feminists? Where are they? Because I was under the distinct impression from feminists that this was a net negative, right? Anytime. There is no reason to hit a woman under any circumstances whatsoever. And yet they're just sitting there on the sidelines, clapping along as this dude is pummeling a chick. Just clapping. Where are they? Again, feminism, second, third, and now moving into fourth wave feminism, it doesn't jive with the transgender worldview, with that ideology. And yet, these people are trying to keep up their, their liberal bona fides, and so they're not saying anything, or they're cheering it on. And the last thing here, again, because I can't go into too much detail on all these, the trust the science crowd is being pretty quiet right now. They're being awfully quiet, and it is deafening how quiet they're being. Because it's, everything's about trust the science, right? Trust the science, trust the science. Unless it's talking about Y chromosomes, we don't like that science, right? We like all the science that's been made up on the DSM-4, right? You know, or the DSM-5, basically talking about how this is a real thing. The truth is, is that this guy that calls himself Elena has a mental disorder, okay? And we should take pity on this person. We, we should want to help them. But mainstreaming and mainlining his delusion that he is a woman is now causing, causing physical violence on women. 
we have to figure out if we're going to be in a society that supports that. Speaking of support, this uh, this organization, again, the name of this organization is Global, what was it, Combate Global? Okay, yeah, Combate Global. Don't support this organization in any way, shape, or form, okay, at all. I had never really heard of that that organization before this or not, you know, a major organization, you know, that's not like one or Bellator or UFC or something like that. You can't support this organization in any way, shape, or form because they weren't the sanctioning body, but they're the ones that promoted this fight because no one knows that was a preliminary fight on that fight card. Do you know anyone else that fought on that fight card? Yeah, because nobody does. This is the only thing that people want to talk about because it was a great moment for the LGBTQ plus, uh, you know, worldview. We had this tranny get out there and beat up a chick, which is apparently great breaking news. Let's move on to the next story here. And this is from CBS News. Biden ousts 18 Trump Military Academy board appointees, including Spicer Conway. So here's a summary. So these 18 people that are all Trump appointees, they were given a few hours notice that they were to resign from the boards of these military academies. So that's West Point, you know, Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, or that they would be fired from them. They were given a few hours. They were essentially given no option. It's like, you're not going to be a part of this board anymore. You're out of here. So the notable people that were ousted were former Trump press secretary, Sean Spicer, former Trump advisor, Kellyanne Conway, and former national security advisor to Trump, Lieutenant Colonel, or sorry, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster. So the thing about this is these people normally, I think they're on like three-year terms or something like that. And part of the reason why they do that is because they don't want full turnover every time there's a new president, right? They want there to be, you know, because the military is supposed to be something that's just right down the middle, apolitical, that type of thing. But this is why this is so important. The Biden administration wants to fully wokeify the United States military, thus killing our ability to be effective, okay? All in, in the manner of equity, right? Now, I talked about this with Matthew Lohmeyer. He wrote an entire book about it called Irresistible Revolution. He was just on a few weeks ago. You should definitely check out that interview and also check out that book because it goes into grave detail because he essentially lost his command in the Space Force and he lost his career because he wanted to point out that, hey, this whole equity and inclusion diversity stuff is going to kill our ability to be lethal as, as a military. And you shouldn't be telling all the white people in the military that they're inherently racist and there's nothing that they can do about it, right? But this is such a nefarious thing because the best and brightest are the ones that go to the military academies, right? Those are the people that are going to go and they're going to be commissioned as officers for the most part. And they're going to be leading the future of our U.S. military operations. And Don, or Joe Biden is getting rid of anybody that could potentially push back against his equity agenda. Okay. Push back against his critical race theory based nonsense that is now being basically marinated all over the military, right? He wants to get rid of that. He doesn't want pushback. He doesn't want someone like Sean Spicer or Lieutenant General McMaster. He doesn't want those people saying, hey, 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 I don't think that we should be showing, you know, Robin D'Angelo quotes to our, you know, folks over at West Point. I don't know that's the best use of their time over there. Perhaps we should teach them how to wage war. Because the whole point of having a military is to defend yourself and also to eradicate danger somewhere else, right? To kill people and destroy stuff. That's, that's ultimately the goal of the military, right? So this is an incredibly, incredibly important development that really no one's talking about. Had I not talked about it off air with Matthew Lohmeyer, you know, the, at the time, this was breaking news whenever he and I did our interview, but we, we really couldn't talk about it during our time together, but we did discuss it off air. It's something that we really need to keep an eye on. All right, guys, next story here. This is from Fox News. Former University of Oklahoma volleyball player sues over exclusion from team because of political views. So shout out to Sam, the coach guy from my foxhole for making me aware of this. But here's a summary. Kylie McLaughlin, you know, another McLaughlin, but this one actually is a woman who identifies as a woman. She's a real woman. But Kylie McLaughlin, a former OU volleyball player, is suing her old coaches, Lindsey Gray Walton and Kyle Walton at the school and the school rather. And she's saying that she was stigmatized as a racist and was eventually forbidden from the team because of her conservative political views. Okay, so she's suing for something in the in the neighborhood of $75,000 and she's sued on five different complaints. And one of those complaints was on the grounds of the First Amendment. So I'm going to read several uh, paragraphs from this article because it was really hard to kind of summarize. And I want to make sure that you understand what's going on here. So here it is from the article. In the court documents, McLaughlin said that the team was forced to watch the 2016 documentary 13th, which is about the incarceration of black people in the United States. The lawsuit states that a team discussion in June of 2020 took some shots at former President Donald Trump and compared it with beatings of blacks in the 1960s. 
The following day, McLaughlin responded to a social media news surrounding the discussion over the University of Texas and people advocating to replace the Eyes of Texas school spirit song. She responded with laughing emojis, and McLaughlin said that she didn't think the song was racist. Texas and Oklahoma volleyball players responded to her on social uh, on social media, and Gray Walton forced her, that's the coach, forced her to delete the post and apologize to Texas women's volleyball coaches and players, the lawsuit stated. McLaughlin's teammates and coaches felt that she was racist and homophobic according to the lawsuit. Although McLaughlin sports equality or supports equality, social justice, and finds racism despicable, she disagreed with the woke culture and critical race theory advocated and practiced by two of her coaches who are the defendants in this action, the lawsuit stated. McLaughlin was told that she didn't fit the culture at Oklahoma and coaches gave her three options. This is ridiculous. She was told that she could either transfer or continue on scholarship as a typical student, not an athlete. The other option was to take a redshirt year keep her scholarship and practice separately from the rest of the team. The lawsuit stated she had to take more than 10 hours to of online diversity and inclusion training for a growth plan. McLaughlin said in the lawsuit, McLaughlin said that the school and coaches violated her freedom of speech. She accused her coaches of intentionally inflicting emotional distress by alleging that she was a racist and a homophobe. Okay. So this girl, you know, hopefully she wins this case and all that. I think she transferred uh, to Ole Miss to do her senior year or whatever. But this is why this is so important. Is if Kylie McLaughlin loses this lawsuit, get ready for a wave of more stories like this. Because this is the first story where you, you see a Division I athlete at a major school in a major conference being kicked off of a team because of their political beliefs, right? Which, as you can see here, there wasn't anything reprehensible that she said. Because the Eyes of Texas is not a racist song saying, you know, laughing about it and, you know, questioning some of the things that are said in that ridiculous 13th documentary are, are things that are just should be common for fodder in a moderated world where we can all discuss these types of things. But if she loses this lawsuit, we are going to see woke coaches all over the country start kicking people off that they don't agree with. Now, I don't know if she was like a, a major player on this team. You know, maybe if she was the star, they wouldn't have done all this stuff, but maybe they would anyway. Maybe the revolution is more important than winning games because I know there are a lot of coaches that would rather be inclusive and equity minded than, than winning, especially if they're a person of color or some other type of minority on the intersectional coalition of categories, they're probably not going to get fired either. Cause if you're the AD and you fire someone that hasn't done well, but they're really, really big on diversity and inclusion, doesn't that make you a racist by proxy? Yeah. It's going to get that crazy. So I'm hoping, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Kylie wins this. I absolutely, I absolutely hope that she does because I think it'll be better for, you know, uh, for educational institutions. and It'll be better for these college athletes across the board. So we'll see how that goes. All right, guys, next one here. And this is from the uh, Daily Wire. So China bans sissy girly men from television. Okay, so here's a summary. So National Radio and Television Administration of the Communist Chinese government, they announced, um, you know, this was a few weeks ago, that it had instituted a new measure to keep effeminate men off of Chinese screens. Okay, so this is actually from the article here. Using the term Niang Pao, I'm sorry, or girly guns, a slur for men who exhibit womanly characteristics, the officials called for resolutely putting an end to sissy men and other abnormal aesthetics on television. To that end, they introduced an eight-point plan designed to address the kind of entertainment they said is responsible for severely polluting the social atmosphere and wielding a bad influence over China's youth. One of the key avenues, it appeared, regulators are pinpointing for keeping the girly men off screens is by barring broadcasts and TV companies from showing talent competitions and idol development programs or variety shows. And so essentially what, what they're doing is because in other areas, especially in Korea, you have K-pop and all this thing. So you have these very, you know, effeminate looking men that are becoming incredibly popular. And, you know, the, the girls love these effeminate men and the, the boys are becoming more effeminate wearing, you know, long earrings and, and makeup and stuff like that. And the Chinese are like, uh-uh, we're not going to allow that. Not, not on our watch. Okay. So this is why this is important. I actually agree with this. I actually agree with the Chinese Communist Party on this. I don't agree with their reasoning for doing it because they're trying to build a homogenous society that can take over the world. I, I, I don't agree with that part, but I agree with this because they, are, they don't want their young, impressionable boys in China, they don't want the well to be poisoned with all this feminist nonsense with, with these men that are overly feminized in a way that is unmanly. 
They don't want to model to them that this is an okay way of comporting yourself, young man, or young whatever you want to call yourself eventually. So I actually totally agree with this. But another reason why I think it's important is because it is going to be absolutely delicious watching how Hollywood responds to this. Because I believe as of last year, or maybe even earlier this year, China became the largest market for multimedia entertainment, you know, to, for, for movies and stuff like that. They became the largest audience, right? And they're only getting bigger. And they have, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, they've, they've had, you know, movies that they've been allowed to be released in China, but they had to change several scenes. So it wouldn't, you know, disagree with the communist party. There's been movies that they wouldn't even allow, right? You know, Space Jam wasn't even allowed. I don't even know why that was banned, but not even allowed in the country. And here's the thing. Hollywood is driven way more by dollars than it is by wokeness. Okay. And you might say, oh, that's not true. Look at all these movies that they're making. that are all about the woke stuff. They're making it because they can still do the huge movies that make a ton of money. With COVID and movie theaters being closed, you know, it's all kind of being thrown out of the whack, thrown out of whack a little bit. But I just can't wait to watch how this goes because the Chinese, they don't give a crap what some Hollywood starlet thinks about what they do. They're going to run their country how they decide to run their communist, dictatorial, satanic country. That's what they're going to do. I wonder if Hollywood's going to start to fall in line. Again, here in America, we have way more representation of LGBTQ stuff on screen than we even have in real life by a lot of things because we're trying to normalize these things. But China's drawing a line in the sand and say, we're not going to normalize effeminate men. And I'm down with that. Okay. So next story here is from CNN Business. This is China bans kids from playing online video games during the week. So here's a summary, just a quick one. China has barred online gamers under the age of 18 from playing on weekdays and limited their play to just three hours most weekends, unless it was a, you know, some sort of a holiday, marking a significant escalation of restrictions on the country's massive gaming industry. Here's why this is so important. I kind of agree with this one too. Not only did we find one story from the communist country of China that I agreed with, you found two and you found two in a row and it's just been in the last few weeks. I agree with this because China, it was looking at their country, looking at their boys. And this is not the first time they've addressed this issue. But when you have these boys that are not worried about school, they're not worried about developing themselves. They're not worried about developing themselves physically. They're not dedicating themselves to the state in a proper fashion, but they're playing video games for hours and hours and hours every single day. They're like, nope. Not going to have that. Not going to do that. Now, I like that we have a liberty-filled country. I, I like that we can do whatever we want within reason, even though some of those rights are kind of being, you know, truncated a little bit in the latter, latter days. But I love that there's this restriction on video games. Okay? I'm not advocating for that in the United States. Again, liberty. Love me, love me some liberty. But video games are destroying children in the United States. All over the world, but specifically in the United States. Destroying them. because. You have a lot of parents now that grew up playing video games, and so they think it's all in good fun for their children to play video games. There's a buddy of mine from, from high school. This kid was the smartest out of all of us. We had this little crew that ran together. He was the smartest out of all of us naturally, but he got B's, C's, and D's in school. Never an A, right? He spent all of his time playing World of Warcraft and never studying, you know, never really getting after it. And so he got his report card for, you know, the end of the fall semester. And he had an F in a couple of subjects. He had a D's and C's, horrible report card for a kid. I think he was in his, you know, sophomore or junior year of high school. So a very, very important year. What did his parents turn around and do? For Christmas, they bought him a brand new desktop computer that would be faster and better to play video games on. This guy was failing high school classes because he was playing too much video games, too much World of Warcraft. And they said, oh, let's get him a new computer. His old one's a little slow. And that's not a unique story. We have so many parents that are just like, they don't want a parent. They don't want to deal with the kid. They don't want to deal with the kid saying, mom, dad, I'm bored. So they just give him the controller. They allow them to have a television in their room, right? So they can look at porn whenever they want, hide it from their parents, right? But they allow them to have a television and a PlayStation or an Xbox in their room or, you know, a you know, high, high-speed computer, right? And then they just play video games. These kids aren't sleeping well. They're not concentrating at school. There are no ramifications if they do poorly in school because they're playing too many video games. They're not developing real, real-world relationships with friends. They don't understand how to talk to the opposite sex. Everything is the world they're playing in. The Call of Duty world, the Madden world, the, the whatever, you know, Fortnite world. That's the world that they're living in. And this is having a, an incredibly deleterious effect on children. 
And the Chinese Communist Party's like, nope, we're trying to take over the world. Again, I don't agree with their reasons for it, but they're taking, they're taking stances against this, right? And in a country like that, all they can do is, you know, enforce it through threat of violence. But it's something that we should be thinking about here in terms of like, what would be better for our children to allow them more time to do these things that are rotting their brains or less time? Because again, for every one kid that makes it and is making multi-millions of dollars playing video games every year, there are tens of thousands of kids that aren't anywhere near that playing the same amount of video games. That's a problem. So we're going to go into the next story here, but I want to contrast these last two stories with this next one. So this is from Blaze News. New study promotes princess power for little boys as a way to combat toxic masculinity. I hate this so much, but here's a summary. This is actually from the article. On Friday, Campus Reform reported that a team of developmental psychology researchers led by BYU professor Sarah Coyne determined that exposing children, specifically young boys, to Disney princess culture may make them less likely to believe in traditional gender roles, which she calls hegemonic masculinity. According to Coyne, the concept of princess power is when children who watch Disney princess content and were more likely to reject traditional gender roles. So while China is trying to keep all their boys from playing video games all day and dressing up like girls, in America, we want our little boys to learn from Disney princess culture, to learn about princess power. This is why this story is so important. Similar to the story I talked about earlier with the tranny MMA fighter, we thought the gender revolution would stop with kids. But the revolution has to roll on, even if it's to the physical and mental detriment of kids. Because gender roles are incredibly important. Some people would say that a lot of the roles that are taken within gender don't have anything to do with culture, and they have a lot to do with biological wiring. They have a lot to do with who God made us to be, right? And our role in the world and how we should operate, that that is somehow and is more important than what you, progressive, uh, you know, professor at some college, than what you believe it should be. But there has to be a revolution in gender. We need our girls to become more manly and we need our boys to become more effeminate. That's what we need to do. We need to level the playing field and make this homogenous culture where everybody is the same and thinks the exact same. And the thing about it is, guys, is you know who's reading the research by people like this professor? The K through 12 teacher at your kid's school. Overwhelmingly, the public schools, but certainly some private schools as well, and Christian schools. They're reading this research and going, huh, huh, yeah, I don't want my boy to grow up to be toxically masculine, or, you know, I don't want the boys in my class to grow up to be toxically masculine. Let's study Cinderella. Let's study Snow White. Let's, let's study Frozen. Let's, let's study these things, and then we'll be able to help these young boys before they even know that they're in trouble. Now. Uh, if you read more of that article, which I encourage you to do, they're talking about how a lot of men, adult men, are emotionally stunted, which is obviously true. But they're saying that one of the ways that you can fix that is by early on showing them that traditional gender roles, specifically like stoicism in men, is, is a net negative for them. And they shouldn't act that way. But you're not telling them that. And also saying that masculinity is important. You're telling them this, and you're saying that you're broken the way that you are. And what you need to be is more like this Disney princess. What could possibly go wrong? All right, guys, we're going to move on to the last one here. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. A generation of American men give up on college. I just feel lost. So this is a summary, and this is actually from the article here. Men are abandoning higher education in such numbers that the now, they now trail female college students by record levels. At the close of the 2020-2021 academic year, women made up 59.5% of college students, an all-time high, and men 40.5%, according to enrollment data from the National Student Clearinghouse, a nonprofit research group. U.S. colleges and universities had 1.5 million fewer students compared to five years ago, and men accounted for 71% of the decline. So this is why this is important. This will be great for some men, but horrible for most men. Okay? Now, there, there are some people, even on the, the right side of the aisle, that think this is a great thing. Men don't need to, need to be going to college. And I've talked about a lot on this podcast and otherwise that, you know, the, the college system is not built for most people. If you're a conservative male, the college system is going to be terrible for you. And I think it's important that you're going to have more students or more, you know, young boys that are going to be going the entrepreneurial route 
as opposed to going to college. They're not going to get into six figures of debt for a degree that's useless, right? Maybe they'll go into the trades. You know, they'll become a plumber, an electrician, or, or a woodworker. You know, uh, they're, they're going to become something like that. They're going to work with their hands. They're going to build a business. They're going to employ people. They're going to affect families in a positive way. Some of my favorite people on this planet have kind of gone that route. But credentialing is still a thing. And until most major businesses in the United States stop requiring a college degree for people to apply for jobs at their, at their place or, or to get a promotion, credentialing is still going to be important. Because getting a degree is just a shortcut for most, you know, people that are in HR departments that are doing the hiring. It's just a shortcut to be like, okay, this person's smart enough to get through college, even though you can be an absolute bloody idiot and still get a degree, right? They don't print your GPA on your diploma. Nobody asks you your GPA in public. Again, I got a 4.0 in college. Does anybody care? Like nobody cares about that. This is not a big deal. This is not something that ever comes up in conversation. Right. But the thing is that I feel like it is really, really lost in all this is that a lot of kids are going to need this credentialing because they just want to be a worker bee. They want to work in a cubicle and do their job. And I understand people that have that mindset. I'm not wired for that, but a lot of people are wired for that. So this is going to potentially be a really, really bad thing for a lot of boys. Okay. Another thing that's important about the story is this is all part of the equity agenda, right? This is all about equity, right? So feminists are, are looking at this and they're like, yes, yes, we're going to have more representation. And within a few years for every two girls that get a college a degree, there's only going to be one guy that gets a college degree. Okay. But most of the universities know that this is not a recipe for long-term success. There are universities right now that are, albeit very quietly, trying to recruit more boys to come. Because they know that if there's only this single type of representation at their school, it's not great for things as they move forward, right? But this is really bad for men in a lot of ways because some of these men aren't going to be going the entrepreneurial route. They're not going to be going to the trades and they're not going to get their credentials. They're just going to waste away. They're going to waste away in front of a television screen as they're playing video games. They're going to waste away in front of a computer, computer screen as they're you know, looking at porn and jerking off. That, that's what's going to happen to most of these boys. They're just going to exist. They're just going to amoeba their way through life. They're not going to be concerned about moving out of their parents' house because their parents are irresponsible and allowing that to happen. They're not going to worry about getting a relationship because they've got their left hand in a computer screen. So why do they need a relationship with a real girl, right? This is going to be a major, major problem. But this all, this story reminded me of a quote from 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. So this is from rule 11. Do not bother children when they're skateboarding. Girls can win by winning in their own hierarchy, by being good at what girls value as girls. They can add to this victory by winning in the boys' hierarchy. Boys, however, can only win by winning in the male hierarchy. They will lose status among girls and boys by being good at what girls value. It costs them in reputation among boys and in attractiveness among the girls. Girls aren't attracted to boys who are their friends, even though they might like them, whatever that means. They are attracted to boys who win status contests with other boys. If you're male, however, you can't just hammer a female as hard as you would a male. Boys can't, won't, play truly competitive games with girls. It isn't clear how they can win. As the game turns into a girls game, therefore, the boys leave. Are the universities, particularly the humanities, about to become a girls game? Is this what we want? The situation in the universities and in the educational institutions in general is far more problematic than the basic statistics indicate. If you eliminate the so-called STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics programs, excluding psychology, the female-to-male ratio is even more skewed. Almost 80% of students majoring in the fields of healthcare, public administration, psychology, and education, which comprise one quarter of all degrees, are female. The disparity is still rapidly increasing. At this rate, there will be very few men in most university disciplines in 15 years. This is not good news for men. It might even be catastrophic news for men but it's also not good news for women. Okay. So again, this whole idea of men not going to college, it is not great for our culture. And again, we have the most successful post, uh, you know, post high school graduate or, uh, educational system in the world. That's why we still welcome tens of thousands, if not millions of students from all around the globe that want to come here and get educated, right? So Indian students are coming here. Chinese students are coming here. Japanese students are coming here. Brazilian students are coming here. They're all coming here because we have the best university system for now. But if your university stops worrying about education and about research and about true credentialing and goes the way of the woke or the, the critical race theorists or the Marxists or the communists, what, what value is going to be there? And I think that the ultimate point there is 
when men don't see a way that they can win, a lot of men just stop participating. So if they don't see a way that they can win in a relationship, they tune out of the relationship. If they don't see they can have a way to win a game, that's like for me, I don't really like playing games for fun. That doesn't really make sense to me. I was like, are we keeping score? Is there a winner here? Yeah, I'm all for us kind of having fun doing a hobby, but at some point, one of us has to win. Not so that we can crush the other person, just so we know things. Right? I was at a jiu-jitsu tournament a couple of weeks ago. People need to know whether or not they won the match. That's really important. Otherwise, just stay practicing. Go to your home gym and practice. Don't keep score, right? This is really, really important. But guys, that kind of wraps up this, uh, the, all these news stories and everything like that. And you might be thinking to yourself, you're still hanging around. Why, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about all these different stories? Okay. And the reason is, is because there's nothing virtuous about burying our heads in the sand. So I was, I was having lunch with a guy yesterday that he said, Kyle, I just got to admit to you, there are sometimes I just want to bury my head in the sand. I don't want to know all the things that you know. I don't want to know about these news stories. I don't want to know the things that are coming out of these books. I don't want to know anything about these nefarious worldviews. You know, I just want to read my Bible and kind of operate and, and you know, work and, and provide for my family and kind of move on. And I understand that sentiment. And I understand there's a lot of people that are like, why would I read all these books about all these different things? Why wouldn't I just read the scriptures? And I understand that sentiment as well. But again, let's go back to Proverbs 18, 15 that I said from the beginning. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And every single one of these stories, again, there's nine or 10 of them. I've got links that I'm going to provide for you in the quick resilience boost. You need to go read about these stories. If there's one or two that really caught your eye or attention, you need to dig deeper into those and figure out what's going on. But guys, we can't push back darkness if we refuse to recognize it. You know, you want to get all excited and push back against Marxism and push back against all these satanic worldviews and push back against all that. And you don't know where any of, any of those worldviews come from. You don't know why you should be pushing back against them. You have to feed your brains because, again, the Bible is the answer. The, the things that are, that are talked about in the Gospels, that, that's the answer to most every question, right? Again, I've said it, I think it was this three weeks in a row. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Origin, where do we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, how do you tell between good and evil? And destiny, where do we go when we die? I think the Christian worldview answers that in the most succinct and appropriate fashion. But there's all these other things that aren't talked about in the scriptures, specifically, that we need to know how to push back on. And you can't do that if you don't know anything about them. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost out on Daunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So for today, I just have links to all the stories. I'm not going to read them to you here, but every single one of the stories that we talked about today in order, I've got a link there for you so you can read the new story for yourself. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook, and you can check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And we also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.